0: What's been the hardest part for you of living a Christian life? Okay. Um, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we might say the hardest part of being a Christian or living a Christian life is myself. Uh, struggles and stumbles and things like that along the way. But that's kind of too broad. Um, and so what I want to do is I kind of want to narrow it down a little bit and have some self-disclosure with you guys if you guys are okay with that. For me, I think one of the hardest part of being a Christian or living this Christian life uh, has been disappointments. Disappointments that stem from unmet expectations. Now, after I became a Christian, I had, I had some expectations. I think we all had expectations. And I thought as a Christian, especially when going into ministry, I thought that you know that God would kind of give me everything I needed exactly when I needed it. And what I discovered was um, in my... Like, final year of seminary, I think, you know, just, I just got married, um, young guy, um, and, you know, very struggling with finances. And one of my fellow church members, who was a lawyer, offered me a job to um, be a courier and hand out summons. And the summons was someone's being sued, and so you have to appear at the court. And I didn't know what this job was, but I took it because I needed some money, some extra money. And so I remember going to businesses, and I would go into the front office, and I would ask the secretary, is Mr. So-and-so here? And they would be like, oh, let me check. And they would go in the back, and I could see from the corner of my eye, because the door's open, they would go in, and the person would look and see me, and then they would try to sneak out the back. Um, Because pretty much, if if I don't hand it to them, they never received it. So I see that, and I run after them. I'm like, please, Mr. such and such, please, please, just take this, please. I drove so far to come, give us you please. And he starts cursing at me and swearing at me, and I'm like, I don't want him to walk off. And I'm just like, wow, what is this? I remember one time that I went to the county clerk's office because I had to get some kind of stamp or some kind of certification for the summons. And as I went to go, you know, file it, they said it cost $35. And so I gave them my ATM card, my bank card, and they said, decline for insufficient funds. So I said, wait, that's, that's not possible. I just received a check. I know it's an out-of-state check, but I just received it. It has to be clear, and I go and check my ATM, and sure enough, I have insufficient funds, like $20-something in my bank. Married man. And so I drive, and I rush to the bank, and I just, I beg them. I said, please, please release this. Please release some of it. I, you know, I don't have money for groceries. I'm trying to do this extra job. I'm trying to file this, and this fee, and so they did it. On the way back from the bank to the courthouse, I just started to yell at God. I just like asked, you know, shouting at him, What is this? Here I am trying to love you, trying to serve you, trying to give everything. I don't even have enough money to buy groceries for my family. Like, look at the people in the world. They don't even think about you, and they live in abundance. If you're going to treat me this way, it's over. I'm done. And I said, many, many explicatives. I arrived back at the, at the courthouse, and the true story. As soon as I parked, I opened the door, stepped out, and there was an elderly homeless lady, and she was pushing one of those small shopping carts, and she walks right in front of me, and she stops, and then she looks right at me, and she says, Jesus loves you, and I'm praying for you that you know that. And she just walks away, and I'm just, I'm just shocked. I don't know what to make of it. So I just go inside, I, I, I file the, the form, pay the 35 and I come back out and I, I'm looking for her because I want to give her whatever money I had left. And I look at that woman's life and I see she has nothing. Literally has nothing except what she's pushing. But yet, she lives her Christian life so differently with different expectations and different responses to her circumstances. Why is this so different from mine? What was I expecting? What was I expecting my life to be like? You know, I thought also, you know, as a Christian and also as a pastor, I I expected that if I would be part of a church, that God would bring me to a church where the community, church community was seeking to love God more and seeking to be kind to one another. But I ended up in this one church, and no matter how much I prayed for the members, no matter how much I fasted for the members, no matter how much I gave of myself in caring and loving the members, I was evaluated as insufficient not enough. I heard people were gossiping behind my back and I sensed that I was not wanted. I had not felt such rejection even when I was a non-Christian. And I began internally to say to God, God, people really suck. Suck the life out of me. God, take me out of ministry. It's too difficult to be around people, to minister. Just take me home to be with you. Because I ex- expected a certain kind of life. I expected a certain, a certain kind of circumstances. And when it didn't happen that way, it crushed me. It devastated me. And I could see how my sorrow, my anguish was spilling over to my wife and kids. So let me, ask, let me ask you guys. How about you? What did you expect your life to be like following Jesus? What did you expect your Christian life to be like? What did you expect from God? How about you who are married? What did you expect from marriage? And for those of you who are not married or married, what did you expect your life was going to be like now, 10 years ago? Today, what I hope will happen is, as we look at Hebrews 12, I hope that we can all be honest and examine the expectations of our life. God's Word gives us right expectations And it's so necessary that we hear it and we learn from him because what happens is if we have a wrong or improper expectation, then that leads to unmet expectations, which leads to frustration, disillusionment, bitterment, giving up and losing hope. I hope that we will all take some honest examination of what our expectations of this life is about, Christian life especially. So we are finishing up our series in the book of Hebrews and last week, Uh, Pastor Dave covered Hebrews 11. Remember he said that Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith. And of course the Hebrew Christians who are reading Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, they are well aware and well familiar with the heroes of faith, the hall of faith. From Abraham all the way to the prophets. And each of these men and women were able to go through tremendous trials. Tremendous persecutions, overwhelming disappointments, torture, and even death because they had their faith solidly upon God and they did not lose their hope even to the very end. And I hope that we will learn this more and more for our own life as well. So let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. And I always encourage you guys, bring your own Bibles and bring a pen and a paper and a pad so you can write things that stand out to you so that you could study Scripture on your own. Be a good student of God's Word. Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 8 says this, Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask why it is therefore, right? So therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, God's word to us today. Yeah, please take a moment to look at that yourself. The title of today's sermon is Joyful Expectations. Joyful Expectations. And what I want to do is, as we look at today's passage, is break it down into three parts. It begins by asking us, What race are you running? Really? What race are you really running? And what is the end goal of that race? What's the finish line of that race? Secondly, what should we expect when we're running the race that God has set before us? What should we rightly expect on this race that God has set before us? And thirdly, how we can live and run this race to the end and run it well. How we can run this race to the end and run it well. So when when we look at today's passage, what I see is that the writer of Hebrews is pointing out that not only are we to run this race that's set before us, but it's imperative that we know what this race is and what the end goal or the finish line of this race is. So as followers of Christ, what is the race that God has set before us? What's what's the race? We could say it simply is this, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the race God put us on, to live in obedience to Christ, to become more like him and know him, right? So it's not me-focused, it's God-focused. It's God-centered. He is the point of my life and all of history. The writer of Hebrews is telling us, don't just be on a race. Know what race you are actually running and what end goal you're looking for. The writer of Hebrews tells us, through this relatable metaphor that life is like a race. The moment you and I become followers of Christ, God has set us on his journey, his race, to become more like him, more like our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. This race, we're not racing against each other like the race of the world. This race, we're actually racing together. We are to encourage each other all the more as we see the day approaching to become more like Christ, to love God more. But here's the thing. We're not just running this alone. We also have a cloud of witnesses, all those we saw in Hebrews 11, who have run the race themselves, and they're standing on the sidelines, and they're cheering us on. Keep on running. Keep on running. There's Abraham. There's Moses. Keep on running. And so it's wise of us, if we want to run this race well, to look to our older brothers and sisters in the past and see how they ran this race. See what they faced and then how they responded so that we would also have a proper expectation and a proper end goal as well as we run this race. So let me ask you a question here. What expectations do you live with? What expectations are in your heart and where do those expectations come from? I've met many, many sisters who have thought this. Someday my prince will come. And then they meet that guy. They get all dressed up in this beautiful white gown, this fancy wedding ceremony, and they get married, and after they get married, they go, why did he become a frog? <laughs> I've met guys who've, who've, who've said this as well, who've expected this. I've been dreaming of a true love's kiss. And then they meet that woman. They lose weight. They get dressed up with this fancy tuxedo, learn this cool dance. All this ceremony. And then, Month after month after month, they wake up to their wife, hair is messed up, no makeup, morning breath, whatever it is going on, and they go, but this is thriller, thriller. (laughs) You're expected to marry a princess, or you're expected to marry a prince. But what you realize is that you actually married a sinner. Someone with just as much baggage as you have. And because you had this expectation and it was unmet, now it leads to frustration, discouragement, losing hope, and some have even given up and called it quits. So where did you get this expectation from? Disney. You didn't get it from God's word. Because if we know God's word and we read, for instance, Ephesians 5, we know that what we're supposed to expect when we get into marriage. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands expect to die. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands and everything as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands in respect and reverence for Christ. But we don't want that, because so much of our life follows and pursuits after what we want for our comfort and for our pleasure and not for God's kingdom. What are you expecting? What are you running? You know, the Bible tells us if we would read it, if we would meditate upon it, the Bible tells us that Abraham and Sarah, Hannah, Elizabeth, that they wanted children, but they didn't get it. not at least not the way they wanted to or in their timing. But God is still with you. God is sovereign. And God's plan for you has not changed. So hold on to him. Keep running the race. God's word tells us, Naomi, Ruth, Esther, these are women who are simply trying to live humbly, holy, honestly, and everything that they loved was taken from them. But what are they to do? Know that God is still with them. God is sovereign. God's plan for them has not changed. So hold on to him, and even when they cannot hold on to him, he's holding on to them. Run the race. God's word tells us from Jacob, Joseph, David, Daniel, you may do your very best and with the very best motives to serve and to care for others, to help others accelerate. But in the blink of an eye, those people that you were helping, they can throw you under the bus. They could throw you into a lion's den if they see it's a benefit for them. So what do you do? Know that God is still Sovereign. He is still with you. His plan for you has not changed. So keep on running. God's word tells us through Moses, Elijah, and Jeremiah, here are the ones who preached and delivered the word of God. They cared for their people. They shepherded their people. But what did they do? The people that actually loved them revolted against them, stripped them naked, beat them, threw them in prison, and even killed them. But God is still with you. God is still sovereign. And his purpose and plan has not Stopped. Keep running the race. You see, God has given us his word so that not only that we can know him and his ways, but so that we can learn, we can meditate, we can, we can receive experience from our older brothers and sisters in the faith and how they ran So that we can now examine what race am I running and how am I running it with what kind of expectations so that when we encounter challenging circumstances, things that we were not expecting, we could respond with faith and with hope and run this race well. Life is like a race. You are on a race. Brothers and sisters, take a moment, think about it. What race are you actually running? Because in this, at least in the book of Hebrews, The Hebrew Christians, there's only two races before them. The race of Christ to become like Him, to make Him known, to love Him, or the race to live for the world, to live for themselves. We also have that before us. What race are you running? Is it a race that Christ has set to become more like Him, to love Him, and to love others, to become like Him? Or is it, no, it's actually myself? What race are you running? You know, I'm not a racing expert or running expert. I did running when I was like in junior high school, high school. I think we all did, right? We had to run around the tracks. But I've watched a couple of CrossFit, um, what do you call those things? They're called the Spartan races. Have you guys ever seen that? I have never seen, it's on YouTube, you could watch it. I have never seen someone running the Spartan race running with an Espresso machine. I've never seen that. I've never seen them running with an iPad. I've never seen them running with an office desk on their back. If they did, if they did that, you know that they're not taking the race seriously. But rather, that they're probably just trying to get some viral likes. Because everyone who runs that race and takes it seriously, what do they do? They're almost like naked. All they have is like this thin, tight clothing on because they want nothing to keep them from finishing and running the race. They throw off every weight and sin. And brothers and sisters, depending on what race you're running is, will, de- will determine what you are carrying and what you're willing to let go of. Let's be honest. What race are we running? Now, here's the thing. I look at you guys, and I love being part of Mosaic. I love the brothers and sisters of Mosaic. Amen? Can we just thank the Lord for Mosaic? Now, I know this with full confidence. I know that some of you, many of us, have been running this race. You have been pursuing to know God, to love Him, to be like Him, and encourage each other. I know that. But what happens is, along the way, whether it's because we get persecuted, or we get attacked, or we get hurt... Maybe sometimes we allow ourselves to get distracted or sidetracked, and sometimes we even get pushed aside hard by the ones we're running with, and we stumble. And what happens is, if we're not careful, is we stop running. I think in this room, some of you have stopped running because it's not the life you expected it to be. But here's the thing, though, The writer of Hebrews, and that's why I love Scripture, I'm so thankful that God spoke to Pastor Dave to say, let's go to the book of Hebrews. You see, the writer of Hebrews knows that this is happening in the hearts of the Hebrew Christians. They're suffering for Christ. They're losing their businesses. They're being ostracized. And they're they're wanting to stop running now. They're wanting to compromise and go back into their old Judaic ways so that nobody will bother them. And the writer of Hebrews knows this. And that's why he writes this in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, my daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. What should each and every single one of us expect as we run this race? What should each and every single one of us who are running the race for Christ, what should we expect? Now, we think about the, hero, the, the you know, heroes of the old will say we should expect a hard life. Yes, but even more so, we should expect this that our loving Heavenly Father will discipline us. That our loving Heavenly Father will discipline us. Now, how many of you guys like that word discipline? Anybody like that word discipline? I know the CG Young Adult Brothers are doing a book called uh, Celebration of Discipline. I'm sure it's a hard book. But you know, when I think about discipline, I often thought of it as punitive. When I read this, I thought it was punitive too. But does it make sense that God would punitively punish and discipline his children who are losing everything, who are suffering for him. It doesn't make sense to me. So is there another kind of discipline? Yes, that's what's known as constructive. Constructive discipline. You see, punitive, punishment, punitive discipline is when your kid disobeys, does things in anger or in sinfulness, in pride, and you have to discipline them. When someone commits a crime, you have to discipline them. right? But there's also what's known as constructive Discipline, which is very hopeful and very visionary. It's like a potter who sees a raw clay and knows that he has to hit the, the clay in a certain way in order to mold it to make it something remarkable. Constructive discipline. Did you know that within our, within our congregation, there is actually a member who's trained to be an amateur boxer? Did you know that? I didn't know that. I didn't know that was. And do you know that this person is, is not a guy, it's a girl? It's a sister, trained to be an amateur boxer. And I went over to the house, and I was shocked. You know, she's married, and she has two little kids. She's not even big. She's small. And she told me, oh, I'm trained to be a boxer. I was like, oh, what? Right? So we're eating, and all of a sudden, as we're eating, she's like, oh, man, I'm so sore. Oh, man, coach really beat me up today. And, you know, I'm kind of a protector kind of guy. So I was like, who, who, who beat you up? What? And she's like, no, 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 it's Okay? Because he's preparing me, he's training me so I can get ready for the fight. Oh, she understands. Constructive discipline is not out of punishment, but it's because he sees the potential in you and knows what you're going to have to face in the days to come. And so she was saying, like, now that I've been in this fight with my coach and becoming stronger, I feel like I'm ready to go to the battle. So when we are going through these things, I know it's tough because you, you look at your life and you go, as I'm following you, why is this bad thing happening to me? Not because of my sin, but because someone else is attacking me. I'm at my workplace and, my, and I'm trying to love and be a light, but my boss keeps breaking me down. My coworkers keep badmouthing me at the coffee break. Like, why is this happening, God? If you can have the eyes, the spiritual eyes like Pastor Dave was talking about last week, if you could have the spiritual eyes to see, Oh, this is something that God is using to discipline me, to make me stronger. To make me more equipped. To make me more like Jesus. How many of you guys ever saw the movie 300? About King Leonidas and Sparta? Okay, if you didn't watch it, you don't have to, okay? There's some scenes in there that's kind of iffy, okay? But the movie starts off with how the Spartans would actually discard babies that were weak, but the healthy babies they would keep, and then they would put them into this intense, rigorous training, right? And then, you know, they, they're, they're fighting, they're beating, you know, and then they have to go out and, and, and kill and stand alone against the wolf, whatever. But these, these Spartans, they come out like all muscular. They got the six-pack, eight-pack, right? And one day, the threat of Persia is coming. King Xerxes is coming to attack and overtake you know, this ancient realm. And then King Leonidas takes 300 of his men, And on the way to face the king of Persia, and then here comes the Athenians. And the Athenians come with a huge number of people, and he looks and he goes, this is all you brought? 300 men? Oh, man, we should have known that you would not take seriously this cause like we have. And then King Leonidas says, you there, Arcadian, what is your occupation? And he goes, I'm a potter. He goes, you, I'm a poet. And you, I'm a blacksmith. And then he goes, Spartans! What's your occupation? Who? 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 Right? Everybody's like, (laughs) yeah. And you understand, all that discipline they went through was so that they can encounter this beast, this monster, and protect and defend their nation. I can imagine when Jesus comes to us, he goes, Christians, what is your occupation? And we say, foodie. K drama. Nothing's wrong with that. But the core of our heart. I said, I'm running for you. I live for you. I stand for you. You see, discipline that God gives to us is not to destroy us, but it's so that He would build us to become more and more like Christ. Now, look at what it says here. The discipline of the Lord is to reprove you. Now, I thought that meant rebuke, and it can. Obviously, when we're in sin, God needs to discipline us correctively, punitively. But that word reprove also means this, to prove. When we face hardships, when we face difficulties, not by our own sinful doing, but just for some reason, whether it's sickness, financial hardship, because we've been trying to honor God, relational hardships, what happens is when those things come, you actually begin to see if your faith is genuine. Do I trust and love Jesus for Jesus, or only because I have good things in my life? Only because I get what I want? Those hardships is a way that God allows for you to reveal what is your faith really based on. But not only that, when you go through those things and you're faithful and holding on to the Lord, your character grows. Remember in James chapter 1, it says this, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. For the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance, character. Now what, is, what character? What character? It's the character of Christ. I want you to think about with me, with me a little bit. I'm, I'm taking a little bit longer, but hopefully you guys track with me. What makes Jesus so amazing? What makes him so outstanding above everybody else? Now, we could say, well, he's the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God. We can't, we can't emulate that. We could say he was without sin. We can't emulate that because we're sinners. We, we struggle. That everywhere he went, he talked the Word of God. Well, we could do that. And every time he touched someone or, or prayed for someone, they were healed. They were raised from the dead. The storms were calm. Yes, that makes Jesus outstanding. But what else makes him so different? The fact that even though he's going to go to the cross and be beaten and rejected, that he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. That even as he's going to the cross and people are spitting on him and punching him in the face and kicking him and nailing him to the cross, he looks at his enemies and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prays for them. He loves them. He gives up his life for them and ultimately he redeems even his enemies. This is what Christ is. This is who Christ is. How do we ever become like Christ when all we ever want is comfort and ease of life? It's actually when we're opposed, when we're offended, when we're attacked, and we say, I'm still going to love the Lord, and I'm still going to love you, that your and my character becomes more and more like Christ. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you, does God, does, does God deserve sons and daughters that look like Jesus? Yes. Of course he does. And so because he loves us, he's shaping us. Even though it's not him making them attack us, that if we have eyes to see that these are opportunities for me to be shaped and molded to become like Christ. So as you're running this race, expect there's going to be hardships, but expect that God can use those to discipline you because he loves you, to mold you, to shape you, to become more like Christ. And third and lastly, this. How can we live and run the race with endurance and finish well? How can we run this race and finish well? Well, we already talked about study the life of the heroes of faith in the Old Testament and New Testament. But it says here in Hebrews chapter two, uh, 12, verse 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against themselves, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The answer is, we need to look to Jesus. When you say to your kids, look at me, what, is that, what are you saying? That they're not looking at you. They're watching TV or they're looking at the iPad. you are like, hey, look at me, because they're not looking. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you're not looking at Jesus. That's why he's saying, look to Jesus, because you're focused on your persecution. You're focused on your circumstances. You're focused on the hardships, and as a result... You're being tempted into not running the race. You're focusing on the lure of compromising your faith, of comparison with others. Rather, look to Jesus. And from chapter 1 to chapter chapter 12, what has the author of Hebrews been saying? Jesus is greater than the law, greater than the angels, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than the high priest, greater than the tabernacle. And now he says this, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Everyone say Author. Author. What does an author do? He writes. And this is the thing that's so glorious about this. The author, he is writing his story, and the author gets to choose who are the characters in his book. And what the author has done is when he saved you, he says, You are now in my book. I'm writing my story. And this is so encouraging if you think about it, because some of us, we feel like we failed. Some of us, we feel like I'm disqualified. I've stumbled too many times. Some of us think like, oh, no, all these hardships means God is, not, is done with me. God is not with me. Brothers and sisters, you are not the author. I'm not the author. He is the author. And he is still writing His story, and he has not finished with you yet. In fact, Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 1, verse 6. He says this, And I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, at the day of Jesus Christ. He's the author and he's still writing your story and he's going to bring it to completion. That's a great encouragement. That's a great hope that we have. But here's the thing, he's not just the author, he's also the perfector. The author didn't just write the story, he actually entered into his own story. He came into his own story and he became the one who was despised, the one who was rejected. Yes, Hebrew Christians, you're being ridiculed. Yes, you're being ostracized. Yes, you're facing, you know, jail time and even property property being taken away. It's harsh, it's difficult, but remember Jesus, our Lord, who condescended himself, who came to this earth like a little baby, born in a manger. He had no place to lay his head. He's rejected by religious leaders, abandoned by his disciples, and ultimately he gave his life for you, shedding his blood on the cross. Remember him who endured such things that that we might receive his forgiveness. We might receive salvation. Remember what his life was like. And not only that, but where he is seated at the right hand of God. And that we are called to become like him, to emulate him, and to run this race. Why was Jesus able to do this? It says it right there in verse 2. Because the joy set before him. That means when he is getting beaten, he has a joy. I don't think he's smiling, I don't think he's giddy, he has a deep joy, the joy that's set before him. What is set before him? One thing of course is that he's gonna be seated with his heavenly father again for eternal glory. But that was already his from, to begin with. What's that joy? It's you, it's you. You were that joy that as he was going to the cross, he saw your faces. He saw your soul. He goes, I'm going to give up my life that I might have you. We sang that song, right? You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. That was his joy that you might be with him for all eternity. Is Jesus worth it, brothers and sisters? Now, how do you know, as I close, how do you know if you're running the race with Jesus? Well, you've been set on this race anyway as a follower of Christ. But examine your heart. Are you loving Jesus more and more each day with your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Are you making your decisions and your plans more based and centered upon what God wants more than you want? Is your treatment and your thoughts of others, your consideration of others, is it growing in love and compassion and mercy and care for them? then be encouraged, you are running. Despite the setbacks, despite the difficulties, despite even some of your failures, don't stop running because the author is writing your story. Now here is where the joyful expectation comes. See, deep within you, if you know that God is the author, you know that Jesus is your author, you know that he set this race, and you know that you're striving to run this race, then you have this joyful hope and expectation. And one of our DT sisters, I shared this with our discipleship training sisters, Hebrews 12. I asked them to meditate upon it. And she said this, when I read this, I can see the day that when God calls us home and Jesus is waiting for us at the finish line with arms open wide, and he says to us, welcome home. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Brothers and sisters, when we run this race, yes, Jesus is at the finish line, but he's also with us through the Holy Spirit and we have each other to run this race together. May we run it, amen, with the right expectations. Let's pray together. I want to invite the praise team to come on up. So first question, brothers and sisters, for each of us to examine, hopefully throughout this week, is what race are you really running? Is it the race to love Jesus, to become more like him, to know him, to obey him, love others, or is it a race for more stuff, for more creature comforts, for more compromise? For, for more of just yourself, kingdom on earth. And as you're running this race, do you know the finish line is promised, is, is assured, is going to be the eternal reward in heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you, will you ask the Lord to give you the proper expectations that, Lord, you're going to discipline me on this race, not because you don't love me, not because you're not with me, because you could see in me great potential. You could see me what I can become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, let me have that expectation when I face difficulties, when I face opposition, when I face ridicule for the namesake of Christ, may I understand, Lord, that this is a way for you to discipline me and strengthen me. And can you also say, Lord, let me fix my eyes upon you. Let me look to you, Jesus. And just remember the nails in your hands and nails in your feet. Remember what you did for me, Lord. Though I was your enemy, you love me. Make me more like you. So just go ahead and take a moment to pray. Thank you, Jesus. just want be in speak into that life. Speak into that heart. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the one who takes the word of God and, Lord, God, makes it true in your sons and daughters' hearts. And I just pray, God, that today, everything you want to say to your son and daughter, that, Lord, that they will be able to hear it, receive it, and let it be planted in good soil. That, Lord, it will bear fruit, the fruit of becoming more and more like Jesus, obeying him, Lord God, throwing off every weight and sin that clings to us, and, Lord, running and encouraging each other on this race. Make us your church that does this, Lord, that we encourage each other to run the race. How beautiful this will be as a community. So we thank you. Let's all rise together. Let's sing the song in response to God's goodness over our life.